All right, we are, for those of you who are visiting with us today, we are in the middle of a series on the Ten Commandments, and we are covering the Ninth Commandment, uh, which has to do with lying. Now, how fitting is it that we're talking about lying on Mother's Day, right? How fitting is that? Moms, tell me that this is not part of your regular vocabulary. Don't you lie to me. Don't you lie to me. Tell the truth now. I'm going to give you one last chance to tell the truth. Are you lying to me? Right? Moms, is this not part of our regular vocabulary? Is this not sounding familiar? Some of you had that conversation this past week about lying. Some of you had that conversation this morning um, getting to church. So lying is really at the heart of the ninth commandment. And here we are in Exodus twenty sixteen, and it says this, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And at the heart of that is lying. And we're going to dive into that this morning. So lying's really at the heart of the ninth commandment. And if we're honest this morning, we would all be able to confess lies that we've told uh, this morning. In fact, I texted my mom and my dad this week. I said, hey, any famous lies I had growing up? My dad said, too many to remember, man. Like, no, it's, that's not a conversation for text messaging, right? If all of us were to go around and maybe our moms were here to testify against us, all of us would be like hanging our heads in shame about the lies that we told, right? If we're all honest, we'd all be able to, to say that we've, we've violated the ninth commandment. We've lied. We've all told lies. And if any of you are in here saying that you haven't, we will Skype your mom in right now and we will prove you to be um, a liar. And so what we want to do this morning is we want to examine the ninth commandment. And what we really want to accomplish is we want to tr- discover what is, what is the ninth commandment truly saying? What is, what is the ninth commandment truly saying? What is the commandment truly forbidding? And what does it truly mean to lie? Like, what is a lie? I think there's a little confusion about that. And I think there's a confusion as, why is lying wrong? And why is lying so wrong? So we're going to examine that. Also, what we're going to do is we're going to get to, get to the heart of why we lie. The entire series in the Ten Commandments, we've been going beyond just our actions to the heart to the heart of ourselves and, and why we do these things and why we violate God's laws. What's at the root? What's at the center of that? And with, when we come to lying and, 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 and what we say and, and, and the life of the tongue, we come to see that the heart has everything to do with that as well. Jesus said in Luke six forty five that it is out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. It is out of the abundance of the heart that the tongue lies. And so here we see this theme of the heart emerge again as we approach this topic of lying. And we want to get to the heart, and we really want to ask the question, well, how, can, how, do we, how do we change then? How are we forgiven in that? How can we be transformed in that? We're going to find that our issue is much, much deeper than just our deeds, and we need a cleansing much, much deeper than just a bar of soap in the mouth can provide, right? A bar of soap in the mouth cannot cure us of our lying. And finally, this will be mostly next week, but how can, how we, how can we be a people, how can we move from lying and uh, using our tongues to hurt and to harm over to being a people that love the truth, walk in the truth, and tell the truth? That's mostly going to be next week as we have a follow-up message to that. So there's a ton that we can talk about with this commandment, okay? There's a ton of places we can go. There's even some rabbit trails and some real just kind of peripheral kind of stuff that we can uh, give ourselves to. And just for, for instance, just to show you, here's what the Westminster Larger Catechism describes as the duties of the ninth commandment. Just to show you how broad 
um, of a category this ninth commandment is. Question 144 of the Westminster Larger says this. What are the duties required in the ninth commandment? Answer, the duties required in the ninth commandment are the preserving and the promoting of truth between man and man and the good name of our neighbor as well as our own, appearing and standing for the truth and from the heart, sincerely, freely, clearly, and fully speaking the truth and only the truth in matters of judgment and justice and in all other things whatsoever, a charitable esteem for our neighbors, loving, desiring, and rejoicing in their good name, sorrowing for and covering of their infirmities, freely acknowledging of their gifts and graces, defending their innocency, a ready receiving of a good report, an unwillingness to admit of an evil report concerning them, discouraging talebearers, flatterers, and slanderers, love and care of our own good name, and defending it when need requireth, keeping of lawful promises, studying, practicing of whatsoever things are true, honest, lovely, and of good report. So all you guys do that, and we're good, okay? Sermon over, let's pray. But some of you guys got really excited. Five-minute sermon, I am in. This church is amazing, right? It's not that simple. It's not that simple. So let's look at the ninth commandment in its historical context. So who were the people that originally received this ninth commandment? And what does this mean for them? We have to understand that this law, these laws, were given in Israel's historical context. And it has to do, this commandment has to do with legal proceedings. So it has to do with very lawful things, legal proceedings. Now, all of us are somewhat familiar with law and court. Some of you are addicted to all those law shows on TV. And there's only like a hundred you can pick from, okay? So you got Law and Order, this and that, and this city and that city. And some of you guys are addicted to those shows. I really don't get it, but hey, whatever floats your boat, okay? So all of us are familiar with that all over. You got Judge Judy. Who knew Judge Wapner was a trailblazer back in the day, right? Who knew? Who knew? Some of you have been to court or even part of a trial. I'm not going to ask you to stand up this morning and tell us what that's all about. Um, I've had my own experiences in that. Some of us have been to court and been a part of a trial. Some of you have gotten the dreaded jury duty phone call or letter in the mail. I haven't seen one person that's like, yes, jury duty. Everybody's like trying to get out of jury duty. Like when you get that letter, it's like, man, how can I get out of this? This is terrible, right? And you're not allowed to talk about it. You're not allowed to say a thing about the, about the trial. Young moms, young parents, you guys experience court every day on a weekly basis. I have four kids and my oldest are eight, six, and four. And my kids are always holding impromptu kangaroo court right in the living room, right? You'll hear some fighting downstairs, some yelling, some arguing. Then you'll hear like a thud and someone cries and then they all come running up the stairs (laughs) to hold this impromptu kangaroo court, right? And court's like immediately in session as soon as they come up, right? And so one brings an accusation of injustice, The other brings their defense and calls the other a liar. One of the kids is usually a bystander. They're brought in as a witness. They give their testimony. The defendant's like, you're a liar, right? All the evidence in the case is presented before judge mom and dad, and they wait for a verdict. And it's like, okay, we're always trying to weed through the details, like what exactly happened? Where did it start? How did all this go down? This is sounding very familiar to you. Like some of you moms are like, this is my life. This guy gets me. He gets me. Okay, you hit her, but she instigated because she's a brat, but you weren't sharing, and you're finding way too much joy in being a tattletale. Time out for everybody, right? (laughs) That's how we solve it at our house, right? Time out for everybody. 
So when you hear legal proceedings with the ninth commandment, don't think like court, law, legal proceedings today. Don't think of any modern versions of that for God's people at that time. Remember, God's people received these Ten Commandments. They were in the wilderness. They were nomads, and they would be in the wilderness for 40 years. There's no justice of the peace, no courts, no law and order, no Judge Judy, no legal system like we know it today. And yet there were crimes committed and disagreements among neighbors and family, things that needed to be settled, things that required justice. And so God established a legal code in and among his people. He established a way to deal with these things that rested on mutual accountability and, when necessary, witnesses that would tell the truth. And so God, knowing the human heart, he gives this command, Deuteronomy 17, verse 6. On the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses, the one who is to die shall be put to death. A person shall not be put to death on the evidence of one witness. And so you could tell there were some instances that had a lot at stake here, and witnesses were called forward. And so one person's testimony could be corrupt. So as a safeguard, God said it always took the witness of two or three, especially if it required death, if that's what we're talking about, a capital punishment case. The law also required that whoever made the accusation, especially in a case that had stoning as the verdict, that whoever made the accusation, whoever was called forward as a witness, they would be the person who had to throw the first stone. Now, how's that for a deterrent, right? Lying's one thing. But being a false witness that is going to move towards someone's death, that's another thing. And so God in his wisdom put forth this deterrent. Okay, if you're going to testify in this and stoning is going to be the verdict or death is going to be the verdict, then whoever's a witness in that case has to be the first to throw the stone. It's one thing to lie, it's another thing to murder. So to bear false witness is to speak what is untrue, to be duplicit, deceitful, misleading, Noteworthy is that when Moses retells the law in Deuteronomy, which means just a, a second giving of the law, when, when Moses repeats it with this command, he uses a word that means insincere. Insincere. Do not be insincere in your testimony. And this reveals what is sinful about what is speaking falsely, the deceitful purpose behind it, being deceitful. So the immediate context is to not lie while under oath during a trial when you're a witness. Don't lie during legal proceedings. Don't bear false witness against your neighbor. That's the ninth commandment. So the ninth commandment immediately refers to bearing false witness in legal proceedings, but it also speaks to lying in a very broad way. As we saw in the Westminster Larger, we see that this has massive and broad implications for the use of our tongue. And it calls for the sanctity of truth in all areas of life. So what is at the basis? What is at the foundation of why lying is wrong? And this is where we're going to go this morning, okay? We're going to develop a good definition of what is lying and why it's wrong. So here's what's at the basis and the foundation of why lying is wrong. The first is this, the truthful character of God. The truthful character of God. That God is truth, loves the truth, and hates a lie. In fact, I I was tempted to bring in all the verses in Proverbs that just speak of God's hatred towards a lying tongue. The truthful character of God is one pillar of why lying of all kinds is wrong. And the other one is this, the obligation to love your neighbor. The truthful character of God is one, and the obligation to love and serve your neighbor, that is the other pillar. So here's a few quotes that are going to help us towards a working definition of what lying is. Look at what John Calvin said in his Institutes about the Ninth Commandment. He says this, The purpose of this commandment is, since God who is truth 
abhors a lie, we must practice truth without deceit towards one another. And I love Calvin's definition because he has both in there. One, the obligation to love neighbor, but also, two, the truthful character of God. So we see these two mingling here in Calvin's definition of what a lie is. John Frame, in his book, The Christian Life, which is uh, about a thousand pages, um, says this, what then is a lie? I would say that a lie is a word or act that intentionally deceives a neighbor in order to hurt him. And we see Frame's definition of a lie is more man-centered. It's more, it more has to do with that love your neighbor aspect, which God has called us to. Look at John Murray and his principles of conduct. He says this, when we speak therefore of the sanctity of truth, we must recognize that what underlies this concept is the sanctity of the being of God as the living and true God. He is the God of truth, and all truth derives its sanctity from him. This is why all untruth of falsehood is wrong. It is a contradiction of that which God is. Okay? So you guys seeing here, I want you to get this. One, what's the first pillar? The truthful character of God. What's the second pillar? The obligation we have to love our neighbor. So why is lying of any kind wrong? Because God's a God of truth. To despise the truth is, is to despise God, whose very being and character are truth. Lying offends his character. Why is lying to or about someone wrong? Because it harms the neighbor whom you're not speaking the truth to or about. Remember the greatest commandment. What did Jesus say the greatest commandment is? These slick young theologian dudes came to Jesus one time trying to trip him up with a hard question. And they said, what's the greatest commandment, Jesus? I want you to elevate one commandment over the other. And Jesus said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And the second is just like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And dudes were like, all right, well, this guy's a little sharper than what we thought. Love God, love neighbor. And we see now in this commandment, both of those coming through. Lying is wrong because it offends both. So here's where we're going to go. Let's talk about truth in our relationship to and with God. Okay, so as we relate to God, how does truth play out there? And what does God require of us uh, in our relationship with him and our relationship to him? And then also, too, we're going to talk about truth in our relationship with and to one another. Okay. Love God, love neighbor. And how, what does the truth have to do with that? The first thing that we've already seen is this truth in relationship to and with God. God is truth. He is truth. God doesn't just tell the truth. Okay. That would mean that God conforms to another standard of what is true. God does not conform to what is true. God in his very being and essence and character is truth. He is the perfection of truth. He defines reality. God defines reality. He defines truth. Truth flows from him. Look at Titus 1-2. In hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. God who never lies. So when God makes a promise, I can hold on to that promise my entire life. My entire life. And I never have to worry about that God wake up on the wrong side of the bed. God's not like that. He's not shifting and moving and changing and here and there like we are. James says that there is no variation or shifting or shadow in God. He is truth. He never lies. And his promises stand true forever. Look at Numbers 23. God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. He has said, and will he not do it? Or he has spoken, and will he not fulfill it? God is a God of truth. God is a God of faithfulness. And that is the story of our lives. That's the consistent testimony of the scriptures. We are faithless. He is faithful. 
We are sinners. He is holy. Our stories are about him, how great he is, not so much how great we are. Hebrews 6.18 just says it plainly. It is impossible for God to lie. Some of us say, man, God could do anything he wants. No. God is bound by his own very, his own character, his own nature, his own essence. He can't do anything that contradicts who he is. God cannot lie. How many of you were around for our first John series? Look at what John said in the very first chapter. We're talking about the truthfulness of God here. This is the message that we have heard from him, Jesus, that's the him, and proclaim to you that God is light. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Light in scripture can refer, refer to both uh, moral holiness and purity, but also truth. Moral purity and also truth. Also, at the same time, darkness can refer to lies, falsehood, and deceitfulness, as well as sin, as well as our sinful behavior. God is light. He is truth. And in him, there is no falsehood at all. That's what 1 John is saying to us. So God's got a truth. It's his very character. It's his very being. It's his very essence. And so because God's got a truth, he wants us to relate to him on the basis of the truth. He wants us to have a relationship with him based upon who he is, and how he's acted truly in this world. And that's why we need to weed through all the cultural discussion, all the worldly and cultural discussion about who who God is, who God loves, what God's about, and we need to figure out and define what the truth is because God is not a God that's just like, hey, whatever floats your boat, whatever stream you want to come at me. God has got a truth, and he wants us to approach him on the basis of the truth. So the second thing that we see is that God desires that we know and believe the truth about his son. That we know and believe the truth about his son. Look at John 1, 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. God, the the, the, the son of God, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, the eternal son of God. He left his heavenly throne and consumed and took on flesh. God became flesh and came here. And we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only son from the father, full of what? Grace and what? Truth. Full of grace and truth. Jesus comes to bring the truth. The truth about who we are. The truth about who God is. The truth about how we can be saved. A little further on, John 1, 17, 18. For the law was given through Moses. What we're talking about here, right? The law, the Ten Commandments came through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. No one has ever seen the fullness of God, the only God, the only Son of God, who is at the Father's right hand. He has come down to make him known. How has God revealed himself? In and through his Son. In and through his Son. God has revealed himself in two special, unique ways. His written word and the living word, Jesus Christ. And so anybody who says they have a relationship with God, if Jesus is not at the center of that relationship... If anyone says, I have a truth about God, and Jesus is not at the center of that truth, it's not from God. Because God has revealed himself in two unique special ways, his written word and his living word. Notice here, the son says, the father, he's at the father's side, and he has come down to make him known. Jesus tells us the truth about God. Furthermore, look at the exclusivity of the son here again. I'm saying some very offensive things that would be taken in our culture today. The exclusivity of Christ, the exclusivity of faith in Jesus. Look at what he says. Jesus said to him, I am the way, singular and exclusive. The truth, singular and exclusive. And the life, singular and exclusive. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father. No one comes to an understanding of who God is except in and by my Son, in and by me. Also, 1 John 5, 20. And we know that the Son of God has come. Praise God for that. The religion of Christianity is not one of discovery, but one of revelation. God, who knows all things, has spoken into the world. And he has revealed the truth about himself to us by his word and by his son. That's how we know. We don't know because we're smart. We don't know because we figured it out. We don't know because we spent a ton of time in the library growing up. I grew up a carpenter and I barely graduated high school. How do I know about the truth about God? Because God's revealed himself to me by his word and by his son. And we know that the son of God has come. And has given us understanding, revelation, so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his son, Jesus Christ. God is very, very concerned that he be known according to the truth of who he is. And so we see truth just coming out here, right? And because of that, the next point is this. God desires to be worshipped according to the truth. God wants to be worshipped according to who he truly is. Look at what Jesus says in John 4. Got a lot of verses for us today. But the hour is coming and now is here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and what? Truth. True worshipers will worship in spirit. That means from the heart or from the authenticity in the center of the heart and in truth, according to the truth. For the Father is seeking such people as this. Now, here we are on Mother's Day. My goal on Mother's Day, my mom's sitting over here in the second row. My goal on Mother's Day is to make my mom cry, okay? Not like in a bad way, but a good way. Like write an awesome card and like make her cry. In fact, I got a streak going, okay? And I got a doozy card for you, mom, all right? It's awesome, right? So my goal on Mother's Day is to make my mom cry. And when, when we talk about honoring moms here today, right? So if I gave my mom a Mother's Day card, and I don't care how awesome it was or how homemade it was or how many colors are on there, I don't go to Hallmark. Like, I get the markers out with the kids. Like, I'm going to town. Custom. That's how I roll, all right? And so if I made a card, I don't care how awesome it was. I don't care how sincere it was. But if I told my mom, I said, Mom, I love you. You're awesome. Thank you so much for adopting all three of us as children and loving us as your own. That would be really, really nice and really, really sweet if my mom actually adopted me. But she didn't. I'm her biological son. She gave birth to me. Cord wrapped around my neck three times in a knot. Okay? All that. Right? And so if I wrote her a card and said, Mom, thanks for adopting me. You're awesome. I can't believe that you would welcome me in as a son, even though I'm not your biological son. Would my mom be honored by that? No. She'd be like, man, this card's great. But this isn't true. Right? When we honor people, When we love people, they want to be honored and loved according to the truth. How much more so God? How much more so God? And this is what Jesus is getting at. Jesus says that when we worship him, we need to do that in spirit, authenticity from the heart and truth, consistent with how he has revealed himself in his word. It doesn't care. I don't care how sincere you are. I don't care how charismatic you are. Or how joyful you are. God wants you to be worshiping him according to the truth. In a similar way, truth that's devoid of authenticity and reality in the heart, God doesn't accept that either. He wants a unique blend of joy, reality, sincerity from the heart combined with truth. That is worship. Also, God's will for our lives is that we know and believe the truth about Jesus. That we come to saving knowledge in Christ. 
that we come and that we look at the Son and that we believe in Him and receive the forgiveness of sins that He offers in His death, His resurrection. This is God's desire for us. John six forty. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. How many of you guys want to know God's will for your life? Huh? How many of you guys want to know God's will for your life? Here's God's will for you right here. John 6, believe in my son. I have sent him. He is the only way that I'm receiving people, accepting people. He's the only way to me, the only way to forgiveness of sins, the only way to a reconciled relationship with me. Believe in Jesus. Believe in my son. That's God's will for every single person in here. And I don't care your age, background, past, history, religion. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. I am the way, the truth, the life. God's will for you, believe in Christ. Trust in him. And I don't know everybody's story in here. But if you haven't done that, I would love, love the opportunity to talk to you about that. Also, too, for those of us who are Christians, for those of us who, who do know God in our relationship, God desires that we, we walk in the truth with him. Now, in one sense, we can't lie to God because he sees everything. But in another sense, we can lie to him when we suppress the truth or when we fail to recognize or believe or accept the truth about who we truly are and who he truly is. 1 John 1, 9 simply says this, that we confess our sins, that we confess our sins. You know what that word confess means? It means this, to say the same, to agree. God desires that we agree with him about what's truly going on in our lives and what's truly going on in our hearts. God desires that we walk in the truth, that we, instead of, uh, instead of minimizing our sin or, or sweeping our sin under a rug, or saying that it's really not that bad, or suppressing that truth, that we be a people that say, you know what? Yes, I am broken. Yes, God, my heart does go astray. Yes, God, that was sin. He desires that we acknowledge the truth about who we are and what we got going on, that we don't hide, that we don't run, that we acknowledge the truth. Check out the Psalm 51. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. You delight in truth in the inward being. This is David in Psalm 51. He's coming out of a a, a year-long season of unconfession and repentance where he's just been running from God. He's just been suppressing the truth about God. And David comes to this point where he repents and he says, God, truly I know you desire that I be truthful about you from my heart. God delights when we know, acknowledge, believe, and accept the truth about who we are at the heart level. Because I'm going to tell you, when when we minimize our sin or we make our sin to not be that bad, or when we say, when we, when we really kind of just argue for us to be gone, oh, we're, we're really not that bad. I'm really kind of a good guy. I'm really not that fallen. I'm really not that jacked up. That minimizes our Savior. It minimizes him. It brings him down. But when we acknowledge the truth about who we are, when we confess and we say, man, it really is that bad, we lift up our Savior and he becomes all the more glorified as the one who comes, dies for our sins, and takes our sins away. And so we see this truth matters to God. And truth is crucial to a relationship with him. So that's truth in relationship to God and with God. So that's one pillar of what it means to lie. Now, let's talk about truth in relationship to and with one another. Notice in the ninth commandment, why the mention of neighbor? Why does the commandment just say this? Don't lie. Don't lie. Why the mention of neighbor? Because here's why. Because life happens in the context of relationship with others. All of us are relationally connected somehow, some way, okay? Truth 
needs to be shared in the context of our relationship. All of us are relationally connected. In fact, when God created us, he created us for three primary relationships. He, he, we were created by him and for him to have a relationship with him first and foremost. At the same time, he didn't just create one person, but he created two and told them to be fruitful and multiply. God's desire is that we be connected relationally with others. So relationship with him, relationship with others. Also our relationship with creation. And we do this at work where we, where we bear fruit and, and till, the, till the ground and we till the soil to bring forth fruit so we can live and prosper. Relationship with God, relationship with one another, relationship with creation. These are the three primary relationships God has created us for. Furthermore, remember, when these commandments were given to God's people, it was given in the context of a covenant community. Do you guys remember the beginning of Exodus 20? How did God start off these Ten Commandments? I am the Lord your God who brought you out of slavery from Egypt. I am your Redeemer. Therefore, Ten Commandments. This is what it looks like now to be in relationship with me and to be in relationship with your neighbor. The Ten Commandments were given in the context of a covenant relationship with God and a covenant relationship with others who are in relationship with God. God chose Israel as his people. He joined himself to them by grace as their redeemer. Now, the Ten Commandments were given in the context of a redeemer to a redeemed community. Now, notice what Paul does in Ephesians 4. Okay, I'm going to make a little jump for you guys here, okay? Notice what Paul does in Ephesians 4 when he brings up a fresh articulation of the ninth commandment. Look at what he says. He talks about lying. Remember, bear false witness against your neighbor. Not just don't lie, but lying it has to do with neighbor. Look at what he says, Ephesians 4. And we're going we're to dive into this next week. Therefore, as the new covenant people of God, put away falsehood. Put it away. Don't lie. Why? Because that's just what good Christian people do? No, the basis is the covenant community. Look at it. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. At the basis of this command is the interconnectedness we have, one broadly in the world as we relate to one another, but specifically in the covenant context of the church, the New Testament people of God. And when I say church, I don't even talk about a building. That's not what I'm talking about. Church has to do with a people, a people who have a common experience of grace, who have come to know the truth about Christ, who have received the truth about Christ, who are saved, bought with his blood, purchased and brought into this family where God loves us as his own, his own adopted children. We have experienced his redemption. He is our redeemer. That's what unites us as a people. So you notice this neighbor theme coming through here. Okay, first thing, truth and how that, how that important that is with God, but then also truth as it relates to neighbor. Now, that's more of a point that's going to come out next week, but I only mentioned that to bring out that community aspect. So keep that in the back of your mind. So as those who are relationally connected to others, let me ask this question. Why do we lie? Why do we lie? And what are, the different, what are some of the different ways that we lie? And what's at the heart of our lying? Why do we lie? What's at the heart of our lying? And how does the truth of the gospel of Jesus redeem us and bring us out of our lying? Because it's not going to be a bar of soap in the mouth that's going to fix us. We need to look to the sun when it comes to the sins of our tongue. So I have three summary scenarios, words for lying that I think cover most of our lies or our reasons why we lie. And these are the ones that are most common to me as I interact with people. And these are the ones that I most struggle with myself. 
okay? So I'm not going to cover every single scenario, especially those real bizarre scenarios like what if you're back in World War II and you're hiding Jews and Nazi Germany and all that kind of stuff. We're not going to get into any of that, okay? I want to get to the real heart for us of why we do these things. So here's my three. Cover up. Second one is puff up. And the third one is move up. Cover up, we hide. Puff up, we hype. Move up, we hurt our neighbor. All right? So we hide, we hide, we hype, and we hurt others. We cover up, we puff up, and we want to move up. So the first one is this. What is, what is at the root of lying so many times? We want to cover up. We want to hide. We don't tell the truth about ourselves and our sin. We lie and we hide who we really are. We lie, we hide who we really are out of fear of what somebody else will think of us or out of fear of consequences. And so we hide. We cover it up. We don't let people know truly how bad it is or truly what we've done. We cover up, hide, and we run into the darkness. When someone asks us if we got their email, instead of saying we've been neglectful and lazy, we say, oh, I was intending to get to that today, right? Oh, absolutely. We don't say, yeah, man, like, I didn't think you were that important, so I didn't get back to you. No, we say, oh, absolutely, man. You know what? I woke up this morning. I was totally going to get to that today. Liar, right? And we do this kind of little kind of line where we hide. We cover up who we truly are, what's really going on in our hearts. I'll tell you another place where this comes out. For those of us who are in Christ, who are in community, who are in small groups or who are in core groups or accountability groups, when we're with other believers we, or we go out to lunch, we, we hide our struggles. We love to stay at the surface. We love to stay up here and we never go deep down into the heart. We're comfortable sharing the socially acceptable sins, but never the deep shameful ones. So I can tell you all day long I'm struggling to get into the word and I'm struggling to pray, but I don't tell you about that porn problem I got. Or I don't tell you about that deep, deep anger and strife and arguing in my marriage. Why? Because that's shameful. I'll tell you about, I haven't been in the word in a couple of days, but I'm not going to share that. And so we love to just kind of open the door just a little bit and we love to hide Or we do this, when our deep struggles do come to the surface, we downplay them. And we make it appear as though it's really not that bad. We hide. We hide. We don't really, we rarely ever come out and say, you know what, here's the just straight up honest truth. Here's how bad it is. Here's who I am. Here's what I got going on. And some of us are so good at hiding. Some of us are so good at lying. And you know what, guys, this lying is so instinctive in us. How many of you guys, and I'm I'm assuming a little bit here, but back in Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve, when they eat the fruit of the tree and they they do that cosmic rebellion and they say, God, we don't want your ways. We're going to go about life our own way. And they reject God's good authority and rule in their lives. And they want to be their own kings. They want to be their own gods of their lives. As soon as they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden, what did they do? They ran and they hid, showing us this, hiding in our sin is our knee-jerk reaction. It is our most natural reaction to our sin. We love to hide. And you know what, guys? I do it all the time. I do it all the time. I long to hide. And that's where I have just good friendships and relationships where I trust people. And there's there's a culture of grace there where I can say and share what's really going on. And that does not come natural. What comes natural to us is to run into the trees cover up our sin, hide, don't say how bad it really is, don't let people know who you really are. 
The next one is this. So, so cover up, hide. How about this one? Puff up, hide, or hype. Puff up. We love to hype ourselves up, right? We embellish the truth to make ourselves look better than we really are. We add a little extra to the story when we tell it. We make the situation look a little bit bigger, right? Or the stakes of the story, just a little bit bigger. We hype, we hype it up. We, we love to embellish. We love to hype. When retelling stories, we say, we say things that we didn't originally say, right? And I told him this. No, you didn't. You were scared talking to your boss. And you said you said that. You didn't say that. But when we're around the buddies, when we're around the gals, I told them this, right? We love to retell stories and make ourselves look a little more witty, a little more original, a little more powerful and in control than what we really are, a little bit more funny. And here's another way we hype. We make it look like we've got a little bit more going on in our lives than what we really do. We make it appear as though we're really busy. Family's awesome. Work's awesome. Social life is awesome. You're awesome. Everybody's awesome. Everything's good. Everything's amazing. Everything's wonderful. I'm so busy. Life couldn't be going any better than it currently is going on right now. Liar. Liar. We love to share all the success and none of the struggles. Your social media page is mostly hype. Okay? Go look at your timeline. All the smiles, none of the struggles. All the highs, none of the lows. Your Facebook page is mostly hype. We love to hype. We love to share what's good, never what's bad, never what's really going on. Now, in covering up and in puffing up and hiding and hyping, what's at the heart of this kind of line? Why the thirst to hide? Why the thirst to hype? At the core of both the sin of hiding and the sin of hyping is the idol of self and the fear of man. We love ourselves and we love the praise of men. And we love to be loved and welcomed and accepted by others. That's why we don't say how bad it really is. And we love to be welcomed and accepted and not shamed by others. That's why we hide who we really are. Because we don't know if this person will accept us or not. Image is king in both of these scenarios. How other people see you is most important. I feel as if I need to hide who I really am or improve upon who I really am. And so I lie. I fear your disapproval, so I hide in the dark. Or I desperately want your approval, so I turn the spotlight on in my life. And friends, here's what I want to say. All of us are guilty of either one of these. All of us are. All of us stand just condemned with this kind of line. I don't think anybody in here has got a stone in their hand when it comes to that, including the guy with the microphone on his face right now. Okay? Now, I don't want to just shame you. Okay? How does the truth about Jesus bring us out of that darkness? How does the truth about Christ free us from this kind of the way we live and use our tongues. The truth about Jesus empowers us to tell the truth about ourselves. Here's how this works. The gospel frees us from these two habits. Jesus in the gospel is my righteousness. When I look to the cross, there is not a single thing in this universe that speaks a larger condemnation against me than the cross. Tony, you're so bad that I had to leave the right hand of the Father, become flesh, live a perfect life, die a sacrificial death, and rise victoriously on your behalf just so that you can have your sins forgiven. That's how bad you really are. This is not something that you could fix yourself. I needed to come down and rescue you. That's what the cross says. And so in the gospel, Jesus is my righteousness. I come and say, man, I'm a sinner. I need that. And what am I trusting? In my own record of righteousness? No, I'm trusting in Jesus' record 
for my righteousness? Where's my confidence come from? My ability to be holy or spiritual or good? No, everything in my life cries out for my condemnation, but everything in the Son cries out for my acceptance. God's love, God's grace, he has shown us that there. And because Jesus is my righteousness, because I'm accepted by the person whose opinion matters most in this world, not that guy at work, not that mom down the street who's got it going on, and you don't, right? Not that cool kid, not that other person. God's opinion about you matters most. And what has God done? He has sent his son so that I might be accepted in his sight. He has done the hard work so that I might be loved and received into his care. And his word over me is this, I love you. You're my son, and I forgive your sins, and I'm never going to leave you and never forsake you. That's where my confidence comes from. That's where my righteousness comes from. And so when I soak my mind and my heart in that, I'm not going to be so prone to hide or to hype. I don't need to hide my sin or how bad it really is because Jesus is my righteousness. I trust in his record of righteousness credited for me, for my confidence, and for my joy. Not some false image of myself before others. Jesus is my righteousness, therefore I can confess my unrighteousness. I don't need to pretend in front of you. I don't need to pretend. Why? Because God has sent his son so that I might be accepted freely by his grace. And when that dominates your heart, when that truth trickles down into your heart, that does something. That does something to your tongue. Okay, so I wish I could talk a little bit more about that. But here's the last one. Move up move up, or hurt our neighbor. Cover up, puff up, move up. This is where we hurt our neighbor. And so sometimes we lie to deceive our neighbor. We deceive our fellow image bearer for selfish gain. If we can lie to get ahead, we'll do it. If we can lie to gain an advantage, we'll do it. If I can lie to get just a little bit ahead, or if I can lie to damage or hurt someone that I can't stand, I will do it. We lie about another to discredit them for our own advantage, and we harm them in the process. Some of you live lives of this. You can't wait to just speak of someone, to discredit them, to bring them down, to drag them into the mud, to defame their name, to marginalize them in the eyes of other people. This is at the heart of the ninth commandment. Do not bear false witness against your neighbor. Do not do that. Some of us lie like this. We lie to hurt others. We lie to damage others. Or sometimes we lie just to move up for our own advantage, and we really can care less what that does to other people. So how are you in your workplace? How are you in your social circles? How are you as you're climbing the company ladder, young woman, young man? As you're climbing the company ladder, how are you doing that? What are the conversations you're having behind closed doors? We see at the heart level this desire to move up, to advance, to gain, to be better, and we can really care less what we do as it relates to others. Again, I don't speak that just for our shame, but that we really see the, tr- the reality of who we are so that we can truly see how much we need the Son. This is, why the, this is why the Ten Commandments are here, as a mirror, to show us our sin and to show us how needy we are for the grace of God. We come to find out again in the cross that the truth about Jesus empowers us to love and serve others over ourselves with our words. The truth about Jesus empowers us not to hurt or to damage our neighbor, but to love and serve them over ourselves, even with our words. Here's the truth about the cross. At the cross, Jesus humbles himself. He submits himself to public shame. 
He submits himself to legal penalty and God's wrath for us so that we might live in the freedom of our forgiveness of sins. Jesus dies for others. Jesus was not selfish towards us, but was servant-hearted and laying down his life for us. Jesus' mission in life was not to move up or to get ahead, but to come down. His mission in life was not to move up or get ahead, but to humble himself for us, to rescue us from our sins. The righteous stood in place of the unrighteous. The king died for the rebels of the kingdom. The sinless son died for sinners. A verse that we use so much around here, Mark 10, 45, that Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. If anyone deserved to be served on this earth, it was the sinless, eternal son of God. And yet what we find is him coming down, humbling himself to serve, being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The gospel teaches us to serve our neighbor, not screw our neighbor. And I wrote that line in there specifically, just so I can jolt us a little bit, awaken us today. We're called to serve our neighbor, not screw over our neighbor. This is at the heart of this commandment. Love God, love neighbor. God has designed you in such a way that life is lived to the fullest when we're in relationship to God according to the truth of Christ and when we're loving someone other than ourselves. And a life that's lived for yourself, a life that has you at the center, a life that's lived totally to move and advance your own self is a despicable life and a life that will only lead to depression, discouragement, despondency, and despair because God's not made you to live for yourself. He's made you to live for him and for others. Love for your neighbor is at the heart of this commandment. And when we bear false witness against our neighbor, we simultaneously love ourselves and hurt our neighbor. Friends, what we need to see is that Jesus used his power and authority to serve and save others. What implication does that have for your words? Some of you have authority. You have power and your words mean something in your workplace, in your family, in your social circles. How are you using those words to serve yourself or to serve your neighbor? What do you use your words for? To harm your neighbor or bless your neighbor? To serve your neighbor or serve yourself and harm your neighbor? To deceive your neighbor or bring freedom to your neighbor? To tear your neighbor down or to build your neighbor up? What has the truth about Jesus taught us? And this is exactly what Paul says on the front end of that Ephesians 4.25, where he tells us to lay aside falsehood and speak truth to one another. Ephesians 4.20-24, look at, we have it on the screen for you right here. Look at what Paul says. But that is not the way you learn Christ. This is not the way you've learned Christ. Lying, defaming God's character, lying and hurting other people, that is not the way you learned Christ. Truth. Assuming that you've heard about him and that you've been taught in him as the truth is where? In Jesus. Put off the old self which belongs to your former manner of life. That's corrupt through deceitful desires. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Be renewed in the way you think as you look at the Son and what He teaches you about loving others. Put on the new self created after the likeness of God and righteousness and holiness. Friends, if you've never heard of Christ and never trusted Christ, I don't expect you to just skip the gospel, skip cross, and jump right into doing this. No. This comes from us seeing the truth, receiving the truth, and the truth being deeply implanted in our hearts and transforming our hearts. 
And what we do is we live out that truth that we know about Christ. We are the ones who have come to know the truth about ourselves and about God in and through Christ. We've been transformed by the truth of Jesus. He has created new life within us through his powerful gospel. Therefore, what? We're people who love the truth. We love the truth. Jesus said in John 8 that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. Some of you are so burdened by a life of lies this morning that freedom sounds really great. Come and see in Christ the freedom and the way to get out of that. Some of you are burdened by lies you've been carrying for years, years, months, days. And you have that burden, that weight on your shoulders. And Jesus stands off in the distance at the cross in your place, dying for your lying and for liars and saying, come and trust me, come and be forgiven of your sins and come and have freedom from that burden, that burden of sin. Jesus frees us from the burden of that. God has opened up our eyes from our blindness. He has brought us out of the darkness of our lives and into the freedom of the truth. The truth of the Son will set you free. And this, friends, is why soap can never fix the tongue. It can't. can't. We can't stick a bar of soap in our mouths and think that we can wash ourselves clean by anything earthly. We need the Son who dies for both liars and lying. The ninth, prob- the ninth commandment diagnoses our sin problem. It cannot fix it. It cannot fix it. Jesus died for lying and for liars, which means this. We need to be rescued, not morally improved. We need regeneration and new life in the heart, not self-help. We need to be made alive, not move on to a better life in our own power. And the last word that I'll say this morning when it comes to the ninth commandment in the gospel, we need Jesus. And I pray by his grace, through the ninth commandment and the preaching of the law, that you'll come to see that you're desperately in need, beggarly for his grace, and that you'll come to know the joy of having freedom and righteousness in Christ this morning. Let's pray. God, you're so good. You love us. You love us in our sin. You love us in our lying. You love us in our burdens. God, I pray that you would encourage those in here that need encouraging to use their tongues to help and love and serve others. God, I pray for some of us in here who are just trapped in the bondage of our lying and our sin, are just weighed down by the consequences of our sin, that you would give them a vision, a true vision of your son, that they would come to know the truth today about Jesus and how you set them free. May you set someone free this morning, God. Do that to your glory and for our good. We pray and ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.